Hey, it's the FinTech Newscast. My name's John, and with me, as always, is Steve. How are you doing? Always faithful, always by your side, John. How are you? Wow, I'm so flattered. Well, uh, something that's always by our side these days, especially in FinTech and new technology, is uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all these uh, cool new tools. And luckily, we have someone that's an expert in that area with us this week. Kevin Levitt, a global business development for financial services at NVIDIA. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Hello, Steve. Great to be with you both. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. First of all, uh, we know NVIDIA is the graphic processing units, the, the chips that drive so much of our video games and crypto mining, and also a big leader in AI in general, providing the tools but what are you guys up to these days with regards to financial services? How does that work in? Sure. Happy to speak to our practice in financial services. Uh, it's going on over 15 years now, uh, dating back to roughly 2006. So we started in the high performance computing side of the business, uh, namely supporting uh, investment banking groups and risk managers that were using Monte Carlo simulations and other techniques to understand first party, second party, third party risk and, uh, you know, living up to the, the new requirements from a regular story, regulatory standpoint necessary on that side of the business, uh, you know, reusing accelerated computing platforms like NVIDIA's to enable those math equations to run uh, much more quickly uh, to improve the insights and intelligence to the bank from a risk standpoint. And then, of course, with the advent of um, you know deep learning frameworks like PyTorch and, and TensorFlow, uh, folks began to leverage the GPU for artificial intelligence. And so we've now migrated uh, to a true enterprise AI platform uh, that supports any number of use cases within financial services, everything from acquiring customers to serving customers, again, underwriting and managing risk. Uh, detecting fraud. Uh, what makes financial services so exciting from our perspective is that there is no silver bullet use case for AI, you know, like automotive where, I mean, let's not oversimplify, but we're just trying to make a car drive itself. You know, financial services, we're trying to do hundreds of things. Uh, and that's super exciting for us and a, and a great opportunity to spend some time with you all to talk about the role of AI in financial services. So you guys uh, build the tools so that other people can do the actual end uh, products, or you go all the way through end to end from the chip all the way to what the user would do in the in the bank or or fintech. Sure. Yeah, we're definitely a full stack platform, all the way from the hardware, where as you highlighted the graphics processing unit, a lot of folks know us for the GPU, uh, but it's one thing to build great hardware. It's another thing to build the software that actually takes advantage of the hardware and maximizes its utility and potential impact on the business. So we have now more software engineers on staff than we do hardware engineers, because we've seen the importance of developing, again, that full stack capability to make it as easy as possible for the developers and data scientists within insurers, retail banks, hedge funds, et cetera, to leverage the accelerated computing platform to generate whatever outcome it is that they need, whether that's a virtual assistant or chatbot, uh, whether that's an improved uh, deep learning framework and solution for fraud detection. Uh, so we do have full stack capabilities 
but ultimately it is the companies themselves or an ISV, independent software vendor, that would provide the, the final uh, layer of interaction because oftentimes you know, there are competitive advantages that the banks wanna build their own uh, solution uh, from an application standpoint, or if it doesn't provide some source of competitive advantage or they don't have the staffing to build it entirely themselves, they'll leverage one of our uh, close uh, ISV partners that are out there in the ecosystem delivering solutions across all these variety of use cases. Uh, we talked to a lot of fintechs uh, uh, building AI solutions. Is there any issue with competing with some of your customers? There is not because you know there is a demarcation line there where you know, we're providing, again, the platform all the way up to the application frameworks where we have you know, uh, Riva, which is a framework for uh, automatic, automatic speech recognition, uh, which would go into, for example, a call center transcription solution, or we have Merlin, which is a recommendation system that would power you know, a system that would provide next best action to a customer uh, in terms of helping them along their financial journey. Uh, but again, we don't take it from the five yard line uh, over the goal line, so to speak. Uh, we'll let the, the banks and or the, the partner ecosystem deliver on that promise to the customer. Uh, but we do provide the other 95% of what is necessary from the hardware all the way up through the application frameworks. Uh, because ultimately, financial services companies, they want to optimize for their own data. Uh, and so you know, they're the ones that understand their business the best. We just need to make it as easy as possible for them to move out of research and development and into production with these AI-enabled capabilities. Got it. And you can also provide the, the scalability uh, as well. Uh, so some of the cloud services? Absolutely. Yeah, we're entirely agnostic as to where our platform is consumed, right? It could be on cloud, on the cloud. It could be on-premise. It could be a hybrid solution, which we see a lot of leading institutions doing today in financial services. The idea is that wherever your data is, wherever your people like to do their best work, you know, you want to use the best platform because it's so competitive to uh, hire and retain the best data scientists. And it's expensive as well. And the last thing you want to do is have these valuable resources driving around in a Yugo, right? They deserve best in class platforms that enable them to do their life's work. And that's can, what can drives you come great talk outcomes. to my managers at where I work. Happy to. <laughs> Let's set that I think up. We have a few Yugos. <laughs> but, I mean, this came across in you know the survey that we recently did about the state of AI and financial services, where you know the the leadership within the organization, based on the data, says, "Yeah, we're industry leaders." And the data scientists and developers are like, uh, "No, we're not. We're you know middle of the pack or even lagging." And part of it is we don't have the right infrastructure to do the work that needs to be done. Because as you know, the data is scaling exponentially. If you don't have an accelerated computing platform that leverages capabilities like NVIDIA can bring to bear, your data scientists are pouring more coffee than they are delivering new models into production because they're waiting for the training to run over weeks or even months. And that can be reduced down to seconds or even minutes when you're using GPUs. And the productivity just goes through the roof, which is the ROI that we're looking to deliver to our customers. I read the, the survey results and it, it struck me that 
Um, respondents claimed that machine learning was a better, which it's, would actually had a, had a better use case than AI and deep learning. Um, can you walk us through some of the use cases that you've seen in consumer financial services that use machine learning? Absolutely. So I don't remember exactly the delineation between ML versus DL in terms of performance, but I think what you're, you're getting to is that there is a lot of ML as a starting point for financial services companies because you know there's obviously a strong regulatory component to our industry. Explainability is key, and that is easier with a machine learning model than with deep learning. And so we often see that customers start with ML solutions and services. Uh, and it's also um, you know, a little bit easier from a technical skill standpoint to enable across the enterprise. Uh, where we're seeing a lot of work happening today is certainly you know, there are uh, explainability solutions in the market, either built into some of our software packages, such as Rapids, which is directly applicable to machine learning, or through partners like Fiddler, AI, and others that have explainability solutions available to the market. Uh, but importantly, you know, the priority use cases that are coming out, whether they're machine learning or deep learning, are directly applicable to the core aspects of any financial services company, which is they're using it for fraud detection, both in a transaction slash payments context, as well as for identity verification for, let's say, anti-money laundering and know your customer regulations. Then uh, the second most popular use case is conversational AI. Language is obviously everywhere. Uh, okay. There's a huge opportunity to reduce expenses, uh, improve the customer experience by leveraging AI through virtual assistants and chatbots, or to complement uh, the call center agent. And again, transcribing notes, making sure that next best actions are recommended appropriately, delivering downstream uh, solutions and, and capabilities as consumers go through a process that's lengthy, let's say a mortgage application or an insurance claim. Uh, so you know, what was exciting for us just year over year, when we did this survey in 2021, uh, there wasn't but one use case that had more than 12% penetration across the industry. Now, oh, wow. nine of the 12 are above 15%. So the penetration or likelihood that a financial services company is investing in these use cases has just grown dramatically on a year-over-year -year basis. Excellent. And then if you look at sort of the, the, the two traders that, that you have, um, do you find that companies that use your services tend to target more the, do, do, they, want to, do they want to increase um, revenues on one side or do they want to actually reduce costs on the other side? What's sort of the driving factor for adopting the tools that you guys have created? Can I say both? No, no I won't, I won't <laughs> cop out like that. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah, I know. Actually, the biggest reason that folks cited in the survey was they wanted more accurate models. Right. And so that's why you've got to move into AI. You have to get out of traditional rules based uh, solutions, move into machine learning and then deep learning. And the second most uh, selected answer was to create a competitive advantage. Then you get into the operational efficiencies and reducing the to total cost of ownership. Uh, but companies realize that, you know, the landscape has changed. I'm not competing as a bank just against the fintechs of the world. As a fintech, I'm no longer just competing against the incumbents. I've got big tech, you know, uh, Apple Pay as an example. 
Uh, I've got retailers like Walmart who have made grand announcements about what's coming from a fintech perspective. And we all want a piece of the same pie, which is understanding consumers, their financial uh, stability, uh, their financial habits, and how we can use that either to take them along a financial journey, how we can use that to serve better advertising and improve our click rates. These companies might have different motivations, but we want to gain trust, earn market share. And the way to create competitive advantage is through AI. Because if one company is leveraging virtual assistants and chatbots, or they're using deep learning to underwrite, that company is going to have a better experience. They're going to price risk more appropriately than companies that are using traditional old school systems. You, you mentioned the the effect that having all these tools can actually have on 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 your on the competitive landscape of of, of a company as well. Um, are you finding greater adoption at the smaller scale of the fintech side, or with the larger players that actually have a lot more to play with? Yeah, uh, they're jealous of each other, is what we're finding. <laughs> Interesting. Right? The, the the incumbent banks through the survey, just you know, conversations with customers are telling us, well, you know. They have an advantage. They don't have to build from scratch, right? Uh, they, they don't have legacy architecture that's holding them back in terms of getting access to data and uh, delivering you know, ML and DL enabled applications to market. Uh, so those are the incumbents speaking about the FinTechs. At the same time, the FinTechs are looking at the incumbents saying, do you know what we could do if we actually had decades, if not a centuries more worth of data on customers and their habits and how we could leverage that? into uh, insights and intelligence through AI. Uh, so they're, you know, each of them see advantages and disadvantages of being the other. Uh, you know, regardless, it's going to come down to the same point of execution, right? Which is who's the best at identifying, you know, how AI can be leveraged against a specific business use case, how you can do a pilot or a POC to prove the point, and then how well can you get that into production? Uh, and that's where having an enterprise AI strategy and supporting platform come to play. Uh, so that that's kind of the, the state, if you will, from, from a fintech versus incumbent perspective. And I, I, have you found many companies are actually um, adopting now um, either more advanced chips or sort of embracing more quantum computing type, type use cases? I know that um, in, in my team, we, we looked at a, a solution called seamless annealing, which is basically sort of um, an in-between step between a regular GPU and a quantum computer, but it's, it operates at a, in, at a cooler temperature. And it seems like that's, that's at least one or two years sort of um, from being widely adopted. But, but have you found um, that other players are getting into that space more or have embraced that space more, more fully now? Or are they still kind of operating on the, on, on the same idea that we can do this with, with, the, with the chips and the GPUs that we have in the market right now? Yeah, I would say it's definitely still more of a leading edge slash the domain of, of the research organizations within the big banks. But there's absolutely projects tied to, to quantum finance and quantum computing. Uh, NVIDIA ourselves have released KuQuantum, which is a um, SDK to essentially use GPUs to simulate uh, quantum computing and to leverage that insight and intelligence to help direct and uh, essentially deliver insights without access to a quantum computing capability. Uh, and then there are you know, other solutions and services that are, are coming to market 
and or just coming to market. So I'm not sure if you all saw uh, the announcement from us earlier about Coda, which NVIDIA just announced this week, which is our new hybrid quantum slash classical computing uh, unified programming model. So mm. definitely check that out, Q-O-D-A, for those of you that are, are, are listening and want to look it up. Uh, but again, this is uh, our opportunity to help influence and support the quantum computing talent that is out there in the market. But the whole idea is that people are not going to have access to a quantum computer, but they have access to GPUs. And how can those worlds be supported through this new uh, CODA language that we've introduced, the architecture uh, for quantum optimization? and to leverage GPUs to simulate those quantum environments and accelerate uh, companies' investments into that space. Uh, do you have any examples of any uh, fintechs or banks uh, with some interesting use cases? Or you're like, oh, I, I didn't think that would be uh, possible or, or it's kind of creative. Uh, uh, any examples like that you can share? You know, it starts that somebody needs financial assistance, whether you know they're in market to get a loan for a new car or a home, uh, or perhaps they need a personal loan or a credit card. I mean, you're looking for advice, right? Initially. Uh, and you know, there are a number of websites out there where people go to find out, you know, what's the best product fit for me. So one of the examples that we cite is uh, nerd wallet, which is essentially a recommendation platform. So they use, mm -hmm our accelerated computing capabilities to power their recommendation systems, uh, to incorporate as much data as possible to make those recommendations as accurate as possible. So that's kind of the first step in the consumer journey. And then that customer ultimately selects a product and applies uh, for uh, the loan. And in this case, we're gonna talk about Upstart, uh, which uses deep learning at the point of underwriting uh, and both for their own personal loan uh, solution, but also as a white labeled software as a service uh, to larger banks. And you know this is a great financial empowerment story because by leveraging more than just the credit score and the credit report, they're using alternative data. They're able to approve 25% more borrowers and to do that at an average 16% lower APR. So if you think about getting more yeah. consumers the access to the capital that they need, they need at a lower APR, that's a win-win all around. And then ultimately, you know, you've got the fraud detection that needs to take place to verify that the consumer is who they say they are. And using deep learning in the case of American Express to do that has improved their fraud detection accuracy by 6%. And when you're talking about a company that's 100 plus years old, has been working to fight fraud, you know, since they began to move the needle not just in terms of basis points, but as you know, 600 basis points or six whole percent, you know, after, you know, let's say the customer does have some experience with fraud and they need to call in to the, to the bank again, AI coming to the fore here in terms of, you know, really uh, enabling an improved and enhanced customer experience uh, and whether they're calling into the call center or they're using a virtual assistant or chatbot, you know, companies like uh, Square, for example, are using NVIDIA's accelerated computing platform in the cloud to train their virtual assistants and chatbots to improve the level of customer service that they're able to give by continually iterating on new data, new questions, 
new insights so that now over 75% of uh, small businesses uh, questions that's using uh, Square's platform has their question answered by the chatbot rather than needing to speak to an agent. Uh, And so there are uh, so many more opportunities that we can talk about, but hopefully that gives you from a, a customer journey perspective, how at each point of interaction, AI applications can be leveraged to improve experiences, reduce costs, drive revenues. I wonder whether from a customer perspective, whether they actually know that they're speaking with an AI or whether they think it's actually a human behind the keyboard there. That's a great question. Uh, I think my guess from my own personal experience is you can probably understand that it is an AI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of, yeah, part of what I think is changing though is you know everybody focuses on training quite a bit uh, in terms of you know getting the models to be accurate. Uh, it's equally as important to have them operate naturally at the point of execution or at inference particularly in conversational AI, where you don't want the consumer to be like, this is awkward. Why am I waiting, you know, four seconds for a reply when I just said hello. And uh, so inference and accelerated computing at inference solves that problem where you're getting responses in milliseconds and it feels natural. And it is what all of us expect from technology. It's not only accurate, but it, it's, it's immediate. And um, so it will continue to improve and get better. Uh, There will always be corner cases. There will always be uh, a role for, uh, you know, call centers and and human agents, et cetera. They will just be complemented and supported by the AI so that they can focus on on higher order opportunities and questions that are delivering more valuable uh, return to the customer and to the business. Thank you, Kevin. Press one for the next question. <laughs> Press two to end this pod now. Uh, so have you um, seen anything from the large banks? Well, where you're kind of surprised that they haven't moved forward quicker or any good examples from, from what the large banks are doing? You mentioned, uh, and we see for ourselves, the bureaucracy, the, the legacy mm-hmm. systems, they don't have integrated data, uh, some of these challenges, but... Uh, uh, who, who do you think is uh, especially doing well uh, overcoming those kinds of things uh, among the large banks? Without getting into naming customers that we no work favorites. with, okay. yeah, uh, it's hard to do. But I can tell you, like the top five banks in in the country, you know, they've got anywhere from three hundred to five hundred AI projects that they're operating against. And you know, I think what they see is what I described earlier, which is to maintain, extend develop a competitive advantage, this is one of the areas where you have to invest. And yes, you will fail, but you will learn from that and you will be able to compete more effectively. You know, you would hope they would learn from that, but sometimes indications don't look like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's kind of the, um, I mean, what we see from our customers is that they're moving quicker than you would ever have expected. And I, I think that was the core of your question is like, how fast are the banks investing here? And, you know, financial services happens to be one of the largest and fastest growing industries within NVIDIA. And that's because there's so much opportunity across every business unit to positively influence how the, the operations, the customer service, the revenues are performing 
with any unit of a bank. And what's becoming more critical and where I think they're getting a little hung up and where we're doing a lot of our kind of consulting work today and partnering with these large banks is how to set up and support the AI centers of excellence so they can execute whether it's on-prem or in the cloud or hybrid and how they support all the lines of business with a capability that infuses AI across every application, every touch point. And, um, you know, cause in the future, it's not gonna be hundreds of applications that are AI enabled, it's gonna be thousands. And that's kind of the, the promise that we're working toward in partnership with these large banks. So does your area include uh, support for the, the large banks or any of the financials uh, supporting their, their blockchain enterprise efforts or their crypto holdings uh, as well? The short answer is no. Um, you know, there's not really a definitive accelerated computing case for distributed ledger technologies like blockchain today. Will that change? Probably, uh, but it's not a huge focus for our customers. It's not the driving force in terms of use cases behind adoption of our platform. Going back to the fraud use case that you mentioned as well, if I can just for a second here put on my tinfoil hat, say that I have something like Google Duplex or something that the OpenAI team has created, like GPT-3 or something. Um, is there a world in which my my personal consumer AI could call the bank AI and transact for me as well and have sort of a, an AI to AI conversation? Or And, and how, how far along is that from actually being a reality that, that we can all take on? Yeah, I'm not aware of, uh, projects that follow that that model, and I I don't know how far away we are from it, but you know obviously you know the banks are not going to move any faster than customers are comfortable with. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, there's the regulatory angle. I think what is super exciting about your your question is the fact that you're even coming up with these ideas, right? And years ago, call it five years ago, we were limited by the infrastructure, uh, the acceleration available in the marketplace from a computing standpoint, um, today that's no longer the case. We're limited by our ideas because the computing capability is there to enable almost anything we dream of to come to life. It's just a matter of whether or not the product leaders within the, within the banks, the insurance companies, asset management firms, et cetera, uh, are dreaming it. And, and asking their teams to build it because it is capable. It is possible right, right. today. Yeah, yeah but I, 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 I'm also wondering from a, from a fraud perspective, whether um, some bad actors could, could, could actually use things like, you know, voice deep fakes and, mm. deep, you know, and, and, and all that and, from, and, and all that is sort of the, the Google duplex model to, to actually defraud banks or, or consumers. Got well. it. Yeah, there are solutions out there to fight, you know, these deep fakes. So intelligent voice is one example oh. where I'm not sure if you've, you know, called into Wells Fargo. I've had to do that recently as, as a customer uh, and they're like- I've done the whole thing. Yeah, you, your voice is your, your password. Yeah, exactly. And so Intelligent Voice will identify, um, you know, whether there's uh, hesitation, whether there's a mismatch in terms of obviously the voice uh, sort of fingerprint, voice print, so to speak. And, you know, this is a little bit of a cat and mouse, like any type of industry where, they're bad actors trying to take advantage of a system. And that's why deep learning is so important because it actually is necessary to stay ahead and to uncover, you know, from an AML standpoint, the relationships that weren't previously discoverable in the data. 
So we have a lot of customers today moving into like graph neural networks to understand relationships across accounts, entities. And then that even moves into a further discussion around federated learning and how banks can begin to share data, not only across geographies within the enterprise, but in intercompany so that banks can put data into consortiums and that can be leveraged to create improved and enhanced fraud detection models. Uh, so this, like, uh, love the question around deep fakes, uh, you know, et cetera. And so it is going to be, the technologies are going to be there to, to combat it, but it is going to be, uh, you know, a little bit, like I said earlier, of the cat and mouse game of who can say how to race, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's always interesting to see, I mean, they're the bad guys, but uh, how creative and the tools uh, that they use. If I want to see creative applications, uh, you, you just go to the fraudsters and they have so many tricks to, to steal money from people. Yeah, and I mean, you see it in the news, right? Especially as times get more stressful, um, people want to hear what, what they want to hear and you know, they become more susceptible. And so how can banks uh, utilize uh, just straight up old, you know, great marketing and content practices to educate their customers around that? How can they leverage data and AI to combat that? Um, but yeah, I mean, there is fraud and it has to be combated and it is to everybody's interest to improve the capabilities there, which is why you see it as one of the top use cases across the industry, because everybody recognizes that this is an area where obviously the regulators are very supportive, uh, customers want it, the banks want to improve it. Um, and this is a, a technique and a tool, it being deep learning that can greatly advance um, success in identifying fraud and also preventing false positives so that all the good guys can go about uh, you know, doing what they need to do to move forward. Yeah, we have seen some stuff, but just lately on regulators uh, really looking to see that uh, at least the, the larger banks are applying AI uh, for their fraud for, for key operational areas. And uh, along with what we've seen much for a much longer time, uh, their focus on the transparency on explainable AI. Um, how does that work into what you guys are providing? Yeah, it's, it's paramount, right? Trustworthy AI. And trustworthy AI includes many elements from explainability to measuring robustness, um, et cetera. And, you know, there's data practices that need to be followed. Uh, and all of this, you know, requires uh, agency and ownership amongst the banks to develop, you know, holistic programs to, to make sure that the right practices and processes are in place. Um, and that's something that, you know, we also work closely uh, with the community, with the ecosystem on, you know, we're part of a number of associations. We put out uh, thought leadership around uh, trustworthy AI and explainability. Um, these are, are, are key questions and opportunities, frankly, uh, to make sure that, you know, the investments in the AI are, are benefiting uh, the companies as well as the consumers in all the right ways. And then, you know, this extrapolates out to other innovative areas where AI is going to be leveraged. And that's 
you know, for ESG and uh, sustainable finance and, you know, understanding climate change and how that affects not just what companies we as consumers might want to invest in, but it also affects how funds operate and how businesses do uh, interact with each other. Uh, and AI is going to be a huge uh, boon to understanding, you know, a company's impact on climate uh, and how we should therefore respect and, and have a relationship uh, with that company or not. Yeah, there has been a lot of pushback on the greenwashing front. Uh, how does the AI work into addressing that or, or like you were saying, um, uh, explaining what you're doing on the ESG front? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's so much uh, data out there and a lot of the newer data is, you know, use geospatial data as an example, you know, coming from, from satellite images, et cetera. And, um, you know, that gives uh, companies an opportunity to actually get better visibility into, you know, how much deforestation is a company associated with uh, or not and how um, oh, really board, down to the raw data level. Huh? Are there, yeah, are there practices? And so you can use all of these insights, uh, which initially are being used, you know, geospatial data oftentimes is being used to enhance underwriting for commercial insurance or homeowners insurance, uh, but it can be used in, in other ways to understand, you know, our companies, um, you know, building in floodplains where they shouldn't be building and selling homes or, you know, what are kind of the risks from an environmental standpoint based on certain practices that come not just from geospatial data, but from all sorts of uh, alternative data assets that can be incorporated into AI and scoring algorithms for, for ESG practices. So uh, a lot of these are, again, newer techniques, newer ideas, newer solutions that are coming to market, uh, but they're ones that we believe are, are certainly important uh, because you know, we have to be great, amazing stewards of our environment among, as well as of society, uh, of government, and one way to analyze a company from multiple uh, perspectives is to use all of this data in an AI framework to help us uh, measure, uh, you know, how, how a company stands against these key benchmarks. How, how they stand. And uh, I guess we, we have talked to uh, guests before who uh, evaluates climate change's impact on the valuation of assets. So uh, uh, places that are close to a coastline or near fire areas, and then reevaluating uh, the valuations with that uh, data that hasn't traditionally been used to to uh, to value assets, um, and then uh, and then you're saying on the company level too, just uh, uh, pinning down how their actions uh, affect climate or or verifying their claims around climate. Uh, so that's, that's uh, interesting. I haven't thought of that before as an AI problem. But any time where there's that much data. Uh, I, I guess you, you would have to have that kind of solution to evaluate properly. You said it better than I did. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I, I didn't put yeah. that in a question format, but... Uh, no, okay. I mean, you, you summarized <laughs> my point. And, um, you know, this is just the beginning in terms of how much data is available, uh, right? And so 
that's where you know the accelerated computing it becomes a necessity because it is growing exponentially. Uh, and these sort of benchmarks and measurements are going to become more important. You see most of the banks talking about them in their annual reports. Um, and at some point, you know, people are going to hold all the companies accountable to what they say uh, they're doing. And uh, to analyze all that data, it's going to take AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does remind me of a... Uh... Uh, there's there's so much more Earth observation satellites, and uh, e even down to these uh, CubeSats, these tiny satellites uh, that are being used to observe uh, climate-related impacts. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, so, what are some of the trends that uh, you see down the line? What what's the the well AI and financial services uh, part of the world? Uh, um, what are some of the changes we should see, like uh, three years plus out? Some of the and, areas... and what's the price of Bitcoin going to be? Yes, exactly, right? Uh, let me shake my crystal ball here. So, you know, one of the areas where we see a lot of investment is in newer techniques, such as using um, transformer models, not for natural language processing, but for actually uh, creating synthetic data. And why do you need synthetic data? Well, um, let's say you're looking for fraud and you don't necessarily, as a payments company, have a lot of people purchasing $10,000 engagement rings from Blue Nile or from a jewelry site, but you can use synthetic data to create relevant, contextually accurate transactions to augment your existing data uh, to develop your and train your AI models. So that's one example of like a new technique synthetic data generation uh, and its application in the context of, of fraud. Um, I would say we're gonna see a lot more uh, oriented around language. One of the challenges with language models, uh, certainly they're growing exponentially in size, so they take longer to train, but you really need to optimize it for the industry. And there's so much uh, jargon and nomenclature associated with financial services uh, we're going to continue to see improvements in the accuracy of the conversational AI and, and chatbots that, that we're all interacting with. And it will be able to handle you know, what uh, reflects America, which is that we're a diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic, uh, multilingual population. And so it's not good enough to just service customers through chatbots uh, using only English, right? They have to be, be bilingual. Uh, they have to leverage and integrate Spanish language. Uh, they have to integrate, um, you know, as many languages as possible to reflect the customer base and service service everybody. Um, and so these are opportunities that are being operated against uh, today. Uh, we'll see improvements, you know, over the next twelve to eighteen months as they come into to production. Um, and then I think. You know, where, where we were talking earlier in terms of trustworthy AI, explainability, that is really going to open the door to leveraging deep learning for some of the more heavily regulated areas within the banks and the insurance companies, especially underwriting, where you want to be very careful not to have uh, bias 
and to make sure you're not using data that is prohibited. At the same time, you want to incorporate as much data as possible so that you're not relying solely on a credit score and a credit report, but you're reflecting somebody's ability to pay their rent on time, to pay their utility bills on time, and to factor that in so that people can get access to the resources that they deserve to move along their financial journey and that it's not restricted to access for only a certain group of individuals or people. So how much of what you do is actually um, uh, finding ways to, to sort of to overcome that, that whole black box problem with, with AI and taking all these different sources and, and spitting out outcomes that the banks just sort of follow as well. Is, is that a concern? And, and what have you seen in the market as ways to basically either mitigate or address that, that issue? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we absolutely partner across the ecosystem. We work directly with our customers on those types of questions. Uh, we work with uh, software vendors uh, in the ecosystem, like Fiddler and others uh, that deliver solutions to market. We build it into our own uh, application frameworks. So Rapids, which is uh, our machine learning uh, platform actually integrates Shapley values for explainability uh, into the into the experience. So, um, you know, these again, uh, we want to tackle the toughest problems. That really, nobody else wants to try and solve across any industry, right? Having a car drive itself, great example. And we recognize that we do that as a part of an overall ecosystem. Nobody wins alone. Uh, and certainly uh, that's paramount for us in financial services because there are so many stakeholders as you guys know better than I do. Um, and, you know, we've had customers come to us and say, you know, I, I'm using this deep learning model. I need to get repeatability and determinism in it so that I can get the right answers and exp- explanations to my stakeholders. And there was actually a an article uh, about J.P. Morgan Chase and the recommendations that their wealth management team were providing to to their customers, and how the wealth management team, once there was an explainable explainability component uh, that came along with the output of the recommendation, uh, they saw greater adoption of those recommendations on behalf of their 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 customers. Uh, so explainability will accelerate the use uh, of AI. It will open a lot more uh, use cases more quickly. Uh, not to say that people aren't investing uh, in, as an example, uh, AI and deep learning for underwriting. I shared Upstart earlier as a prime example. It'll just move uh, the ball forward a lot more fa- a lot more quickly. Yeah, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, some uh, really interesting points. No idea exactly what NVIDIA was up to on the financial side. So thanks for cluing us in. Of course, uh, John, Steve, thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that's Kevin Levitt, Global Industry Business Development Financial Services at NVIDIA. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in FinTech news. And thank you for listening. <laughs>